we're just so glad that you are here today. Thank you again for coming to worship at Doorsville. And, you know, we are in the midst of this Unbroken series. This is only week two, but I'm telling you, it's a wonderful, wonderful series already. Having the opportunity to hear testimonies of what God is doing in people's lives is just an amazing and wonderful thing. And, you know, this thing called forgiveness, I would suppose that there's one topic that really is just big for all of us. This is probably it. You know, we talked about, and David tied it in so nicely at the end of Ashley and Ryan's testimony about how adoption fits in so well, physical adoption of a child fits in what God has done for us. That he, that he has caused us to be born again, but he's also adopted us into his wonderful family. And there's another attribute, and there are lots, but there's another attribute that so clearly speaks of God and who he is. It is this attribute of forgiveness. And because when he, when, we are, when he causes us to become Christ's followers, then he also puts within us his Holy Spirit. And if there's one thing that we should have a characteristic of in our life is forgiveness. You know, C.S. Lewis said, um, most people think forgiveness is a lovely thing until they have something to forgive. It, forgiveness is one of those things that it's wonderful to receive, but very hard to give. It is so easy to carry that thing in our lives. And sometimes they're smaller things, but sometimes they are the nuclear bomb. Like, like Jeremy said, you know, um, his father cheated on his mother, but I also felt like he cheated on me. And for all those years, for all those years, he carried that burden until one day, one day by God's grace, an appointment was made, Words were spoken and hearts were changed. So my prayer today is that as we look at the Word of God and about this very important topic, that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, to draw you, to woo you, to speak to you today, because maybe there's something in your life that's been working back there, and today is the day that God has ordained to set you free from that. And like Jeremy said, in an instant, he was unbroken. And not only him, but also his father. Now, we want to look at a several scriptures. So if you want to go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But I kind of want to give, while you're turning, I want to kind of give a, just a teaching quiz about forgiveness. And then we're going to look probably at just a couple of scriptures um, this morning and deal with this um, issue of forgiveness. So here's our quiz. And don't answer out loud, but they're kind of a true and false thing. Uh, the first one is this, that if I forgive, I have to trust. If I forgive, I have to trust. In other words, that if I forgive a person, that I have to trust that person again. And I need to tell you, that is false. That is false. Jeremy, you couldn't have chosen a better word had you tried when he said, in an instant. Forgiveness, one is a choice, but it, forgiveness is an instantaneous thing. Trust is not. Trust is not. Trust is restored over time, over time. So you can forgive without extending full trust to the person who has wounded you and hurt you. The second thing is this. If I, excuse me, they are not worthy of forgiveness. They are not worthy of forgiveness. Well, that could be true and that could be false because sometimes people almost unintentionally hurt us. And, and also, because of the relationship you have, you say, well, you know what? They are worthy. I'm going to extend that forgiveness because they are. And sometimes they're not. 
Sometimes the, the wound is vicious and harsh and hard, just the way it is. But here's the deal. You know, none of us really are worthy of forgiveness. Really, none of us are. I spent all week long, Brent, sharing the gospel with, with group after group after group. And we talked about just how unworthy we are of God's love and God's grace, but he extends it to us anyway. And all of us are broken. Every one of us are broken. So really, none of us really are worthy of this thing called forgiveness. But here's what I want you to hear. Listen carefully. Forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for us. As Jeremy spoke so clearly, he carried this bitterness and hatred year after year after year, and it impacted his life. And that day, that evening actually, when he talked to his father, and his father asked forgiveness, and Jeremy granted that forgiveness again in an instant, then all of a sudden he was free. He was set free. So don't really think that you're extending forgiveness to the person, although you are. Think more about the fact that when we extend forgiveness, it is for our benefit. Someone once said that that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then expecting the other person to die. When we harbor unforgiveness, it impacts us a lot more than the other person. So true, and it could be false. Number three is this. I should extend what I have received. I should extend what I have received. I should give what I have received. And again, the answer is yes. Now, now again, to the secular world, to the person without Christ today, I want to tell you that would be a really good human thing to do. You know, we ought to be a, a kind, forgiving people just as human beings. But really today, and you know this, I'm talking to those of us who would call ourselves Christ followers, disciples of Jesus, um, Christian. And so for us, it's not, it's not just an optional thing. It's not a good idea. It's a mandate from God. It's a mandate from God. Over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, here's what Jesus says. He says, so, if you forgive others, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. And if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Now, you may look at me as the pastor speaker guy and go, so what does that mean? I'm going to tell you this. I'm not sure, and I don't think I want to find out either. I don't like the idea, the thought of God saying, Dwayne, I'm not going to forgive you. Amen? So, so I'm not sure what that means, but I know this. It is a mandate that we as Christ followers be like our Father and grant this thing called forgiveness. So I should extend forgiveness or grace you know, to the degree that I have received forgiveness and grace. Number four is this. Forgiveness absolves them from guilt. In other words, other words, forgiveness removes the guilt. Well, that's false. That's false. Forgiveness has nothing to do with removing the guilt from the other person. Again, forgiveness is for us. Okay? The guilt process is going to be between them and the Father. So when you grant forgiveness, you're not saying, oh, okay, you're innocent of that. No. We should never make light of the pain that someone causes another, including ourselves. Because I tell you, the pain is difficult. The pain is hard. So when we grant forgiveness, we're not saying the guilt is removed. You know, it's, it's the truth. You know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, when we trust Christ, that doesn't mean the guilt was removed. The penalty was removed. 
the appeasement of, of Jesus' blood was applied to us. But the bottom line, the truth was, we were all sinners. In fact, I'll use it later on, but Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Extended that love, even though we were still sinners. And the last one is this. If I don't, who will? If I don't, who will? Depending on how difficult the pain is, and, and by the way, that's false. Um, depending on how difficult the pain was, there's a pound of flesh that you want. In other words, when someone hurts you really badly, you want them to pay. And you want them to pay dearly. I want my pound of flesh. If a husband cheats, if a wife cheats, if a person betrays, and boy, that's a tough one, regardless of what it is, you say, I want my pound of flesh. And guess what? As Christ followers, that's not our position to take. But there is good news. That we have a Heavenly Father who will take care of that for us. I'm, I'm certain we're not going to make it today to Romans chapter 12. Um, but, you know, the Bible teaches there very clearly. It says, you know, Jesus, or God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, God says, let me, let me take care of it. Romans, or Hebrews chapter uh, uh, 4, verse 11, I believe, but don't hold me on that one. If you need it after church, see me. But he says, you know, everything is laid bare before God. There's nothing covered up that he cannot see. So trust God with it. If you've been wounded and hurt and there's a deep burn there, and you say, I've just got to have my pound of flesh, they've got to pay for what they did. Trust God because he says, hey, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So in the time we've got left, I, I want to look at two, really probably two scriptures. I want to look at this one, uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And then I will probably just look at, at Luke chapter 23 with a little bit of following that. Okay, now Matthew chapter 20 or 18 verse 21 22 way back in February a young man named Trey Reamer um, preached this scripture and did a magnificent job that day of sharing and the last time I've heard it taught at Dorisville was on that Sunday morning on New Sunday and and this is a powerful scripture to introduce the thought that we normally have see with most of us in our human nature most of us want to set limits for forgiveness. So write that word down, limits. It's our natural inclination, it's, it's our natural instinct to set limits how much I should forgive. Now again, I'm thinking about some atomic bombs. And one always pops in my brain, because to me it's one of the greatest betrayals, is that when it occurs in marriage. And how far, you know, I've always said, you know, Judy would never divorce me over that, but she would probably kill me. Okay, so, so I want you to understand, I want you to grasp a hold of that we need to understand, and we're going to see in just a moment, that we don't set limits. God doesn't set limits, and we should not set limits. Now, again, I'm speaking mainly to Christ followers today. So here's what happens in Matthew 18. Peter walks up to Jesus and says this, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Of course, again, Peter, if you don't know the Bible too well, Peter's our best friend because Peter's so much like us. 
We, most of us figure if God can forgive Peter, he can certainly forgive us. And Peter walked with Jesus those three years and was constantly just messing up, constantly sticking his foot in his mouth, constantly saying the craziest things, again, kind of like us. And this is one of those times. Notice he doesn't say, if I offend my brother, how many times should my brother forgive me? No, no, no. Peter assumes, <laughs> Peter assumes that it won't be him that messes up. It'll be someone that messes up against him. So he says, hey, how often shall my brother offend me? And then I should extend forgiveness. You know, this is kind of, again, I would call this the worldview. This is the natural view of human nature, okay? We should assign limits. First off, we're not sure we ought to forgive at all. Talking about the world, talking about the worldview, the carnal view, the, the unregenerated view. I'm not sure we should grant forgiveness at all. And we see that a lot in the world. We see that a lot in the world, okay? But, but again, we also see it in the church. We want to assign a limit to forgiveness. Now, let me tell you this. God does not assign limits to forgiveness. Neither should we. Neither should we. But again, if we're not careful, if, you know, have you noticed something? It's too easy for a Christian to assume the values and worldviews that they see around them. It's true in abortion. It's true in the hard topics, homosexuality, those kind of things. We want to justify and rationalize what the world says, and as the culture digresses today, that's becoming more and more dangerous for Christians to do. Back in the 1950s, when Judeo-Christian values were pretty strong in America, you know, well, that wasn't too bad. But now, it's very, very difficult. So we see when Peter says, how often shall my brother sin against me? That's kind of like the worldview. But now look what else. He says a few more words. He says, up to seven times, question mark, up to seven times, question mark. And, and the thing about that is, this is the religious view. The first was the worldview, how the world looks at it, and this is the religious view. And the rabbis got together. Now, I'm not sure how this occurred. I just know this is what everybody teaches. The rabbis got together and said, okay, we're going to have to deal with this forgiveness issue. So we need to come up with a number, okay? And the number they came up with was seven. So they decided, notice I said they decided, their view would be this. From their religious perspective, we're not saying we ought not to forgive at all. So we should have limited limits. We should have limited limits. So let's assign the number seven. So that's where Peter got this number. When he was going to Sunday school as a boy, all right, and he went to the synagogue, the rabbis would teach him, now, Peter, when, when you mess up or when someone messes up against you, Peter, You've got to forgive them. Now, you ought to forgive them all the time, but at least seven times. So it's like a limited limit. You can do it seven times. And that's the religious view. And I really think it's prominent in the church today. We, we want to say, again, we're not saying we shouldn't forgive, but boy, do we have a limit aside. We see it in marriages. We see it with our, our students, you know, in, in the parent relationship. How long before you say, enough, I'm done. Enough, I'm done. Well, that's that worldview. <laughs> we don't get to stop there. Because look what Jesus says. He says in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, 
but up to 70 times 7. Now, different translations do different things with this. I think ESV says 77 times. Uh, this is, I think, New King James Version. And it says 70 times 7. That's kind of the one I grew up with. But the bottom line is this. Here's the bottom line. When Jesus, whatever Jesus says numerically wise here, he is saying there's not a limit. As a Christ follower, hey, Peter, you're following me, okay? If you're going to follow me, then you've got to be like me, and I don't have a limit on forgiveness. So, Peter, you, don't, you can't have a limit on forgiveness. That's pretty difficult. But again... We're Christ followers. We're Christ followers. Now, the one thing I really like about Jesus, and, and you know, we preachers, you know, I'm talking about me and Brent and David and probably every other preacher you know, I hope you've understood that we're, we're, we're uh, not perfect like you're not perfect. Sometimes we like to put pastors on a pedestal and say, oh, well, they've got to be perfect. Well, we're not very good at that, are we, Brent? <laughs> we're, just, right? we're just not very good at that. And, and you're not either. Okay, we're just not perfect. And, and that really makes a for a difficult thing in our lives. We're going to mess up. Okay, so here's the deal. So, so he comes then, and he gives us an example. And the thing I really liked about Jesus, unlike we pastors, we don't like doing it, but unlike our pastors sometimes, he practiced what he preached. He practiced what he preached. When he said, no, I don't say to you seven times, Peter, 70 times seven. And, and we see this as, as, again, as he walked his Christian ministry thing, we see it over and over again. And certainly we see it in salvation. Well, go and take your Bibles and look quickly at Luke 23, 32 through 33. Luke 23, 32 through 33. Let's look at an example that's very common. And this is where the sermon title came from, the cry from the cross. We see Jesus practicing what he preached. Okay, now here's what it says. So two others, two others, who were criminals. Now, so we got three guys here. We got two plus Jesus, that's three. And, and Luke is really careful to point out and says, and says, hey, listen, note this. Two who were criminals. So we got Jesus, who was sinless and perfect, the Son of God, you know, never sinned, and we got two criminals. All right, that's kind of the setup for that. And, and they were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place, which is called the skull, there they crucified him and the, and the criminals, I like that, and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now I know, again, if you've gone to Sunday school, if you've been here too long, you know what this all looked like, okay? I, you find Jesus, amazingly, on a Roman cross, at least similar to this anyway, and, and to be crucified, and you know this part, I know, but in case there's a guest here that doesn't know, we see nails piercing his, probably his wrists really more than his hands, but his wrist area right here, and then feet crossed and nails through that. He's already been scourged to within an inch of his life. Um, you know, bones are exposed, you know, or, internal organs are exposed. It's amazing, really, that he even survived to the cross. So, so we have this. And we see this, and, and, and this is important. I'm not telling you to speak cross, uh, crash, crass, crass. Not, not to be that, um, but he's probably naked. I'll tell you why it's important in just a minute. He's probably naked. So here's, here's Jesus, and in that society, that was like horrible. 
You know, the Bible says, cursed is the one who hangs on the tree. It's just a really bad scene. And here's Jesus, the man who would, who would heal, heal broken legs, you know, and leprous bodies and blind eyes. And, and who would look at a woman taking adultery and say, look, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. It's amazing. That man hangs naked before all this sea. Here's the word or the phrase, the sea of sinners. So, so get, get the picture in your mind. You've got Roman soldiers over here, some perhaps with a hammer still in their hands. And understand, they didn't have a deal with Jesus. Some of them soldiers got up in the morning and said, Hi, honey, I'm going to the office. And they got up, and that's what they did for a living. They crucified bad Jews. They didn't have a deal with Jesus. That's just their job. That's what they did. And then you've got some religious leaders over here, and their deal was they were feeling very insecure because they saw this rabbi taking away their power and their authority and their, and, and their riches, and so they had to deal with Jesus. They, again, they were trying probably to guard what they think, but most of all, I think it was selfish. You've got that group over here. You've got people who saw him do all this stuff. You've got, you got people who saw Jesus heal blinded eyes and, and, and legs restored from leprosy and all this stuff. And they're sitting there and they're just, just cursing him. Over here are some more Roman soldiers. And they're gambling for his garments. And the only thing he owned of value was his garments. And the reason he's naked is because they're gambling for his clothes that he was wearing not too long ago. I mean, what a scene. A sea of sinners. Very few, a few ladies. John was there. But most of the other apostles have gone and fled. He's in a sea of sinners. And listen to these words. And Jesus said, no intro, no one saying, oh, Jesus, we messed up. You don't deserve this. There was no like saying, we're sorry, Jesus. None of that's going on. No intro, just straight from his heart, he says this. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they do. How about that? In this sea of sinners, the ones who drove the nails, the one gambling for his garments, the one, the religious leaders who caused this whole mess, the crowd that loved him one minute and hate him the next, he cries out and says, Father, forgive him. And I want you to know something. He takes the initiative. He takes the initiative. Isn't it like God to do that? He takes the initiative and says, Father, forgive them. And I think most of you know, and again, if you don't, I don't want to confuse you, but I think you understand, you know, that, that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He had a heavenly father, which made him 100% God, but he had an earthly mama, so he was 100% human. I know we can't, it's like the Trinity. You really can't get your arms around that, but that's the scriptural truth. That he was all God and all man. And I just wonder, to make it more, more personal for us, you know, which side of Jesus says, Father, forgive them? I'm not so sure what his human side. I'm not so sure he's sitting there and his wrists are burning in pain, his ankles are burning in pain. And as a man, 
As a man, he cries out to his father and says, Father, forgive me. And that really makes it really personal for us because he's doing, if that's true, he's doing what he asked us to do. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's just a beautiful picture of love. Now, here's the deal. We are Christ followers. Those of us who, who know Jesus, we are Christ followers. We are followers of Jesus. Um, Friday, I was speaking to a new friend, a lady, in my office. We were doing some talking, counseling stuff. And so I kept saying over again, you know, to become a Christian, it means to, to turn from your sin and follow Jesus. And she asked the most incredible question, and no one, as far as I know, to me, has ever asked this question. You know what she said? She said, so, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I said, you know what? That's a really good question. We are, now you need, this may help you today with this issue. We, those of us who have asked Jesus to our heart, had our sins forgiven, have put our faith and trust in the man on the cross, we are Christ followers. Now what does that mean? Well, again, uh, 18 or 19 times this week, I told a group of people sitting in a room this. Let me tell you about Matthew. And I told them how bad Matthew was. Matthew was the pond scum. He was a tax collector, a liar, a cheat. He stole. He betrayed people. He was the bottom of the rung. And he's sitting there at his tax table collecting his money, okay? And Jesus walks up. And I said, Jesus said two words. He looked at this despicable man and says, follow me. And Matthew, and I said the word incredibly, Matthew incredibly gets up, gets up, and follows Jesus. For the rest of his life, he became a Christ follower. Now, when I say to you, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means there was a time in your life that you got up from where you were in your lostness and in your sin and in your depravity. You got up and walked away from that, and you became a Christ follower. In other words, you followed Jesus. He didn't get up from his tax table and go to Walmart. It's not enough just to get up. You've got to follow. You've got to follow Jesus. And that's what Matthew did. So that day when we, when we asked Jesus into our lives, we decided to follow him, that's what happened metaphorically in our, in our lives. We got up and we followed Jesus. Jesus said this too. He said, if anybody wants to come after me, you know this part, don't you? If anybody wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself. He's got to take up his cross, and, and that means to identify with Christ. When you carry the cross, you're identifying with the criminal, okay? So they got to deny themselves, put themselves at the back of the line, and they got to, they got to carry their cross, and then Jesus says, you can follow me. You can follow. So, so, when Jesus says, I don't tell you seven times, but 70 times seven, when he practices what he preaches on the cross in a sea of lostness, in a sea of sinners, a, a sea of people who have physically, emotionally wounded him, when he says, 
that we are to forgive 70 times 7, and we're Christ's followers, that's the same thing we're called to do. It's the same thing that we're called to do, to follow Jesus. I mean, I really want us to understand, you know, it's important. I want you to do something. I love worship. I love this church. But, it's, but, but following Jesus is more than coming to church. Follow Jesus is more than writing checks. Follow Jesus is much more than doing some kind of service here. Following Jesus is, is applying the teachings of Jesus, including one on forgiveness that says we should forgive as we've been forgiven. It's wild. It's crazy. And here's the deal. I love this. Here's the deal. It's for our benefit. Ask Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy, are you glad you forgave your daddy? Did it set you free? Hey, Trinity, is he a happier man when he forgave? Yeah. It's for us. This is a marriage healer. This is a child parent healer. This is a boss employee healer. This is a game changer. It's not like, well, Jesus said to do it, I better do it. There are benefits. We are happy. So Paul says, and this is where we're going to stop. Paul says in Ephesians 4, listen carefully now. Therefore, I, Paul says, the prisoner for the Lord. Now that's speaking from a hard place. He literally is in prison for the Lord. I want to urge you here it is, here it is, to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Now, you know, again, it fits in nice with the analogy of following Jesus, this walk worthy. You kind of get the idea of where Jesus goes, we go. And what Jesus says, we adapt as our, our vocal language. And what, what Jesus practices becomes our practices. When Paul says, walk worthy, he's saying, listen, there's two ways to follow Jesus, up close and at a distance. He says, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, stay close. Because he's the teacher and you're the student and you want to make sure you hear him loud and clear. If you're going to be a Christ follower, let's follow up close so we get what he's trying to teach us. Does that make sense? You make sense? So he says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. With all humility, let a man deny himself, going to the back of the line, and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. I like that. I wrote down warts and all. <laughs> Accepting one another, warts and all. Diligently. Wives, that really is important. Your husband's got warts. You know, if you're a Christ follower, he says, you guys set one another in love, warts and all. Your husband's got warts. Have you figured it out? And there's some husband going, but the way my wife's got warts. I know, but hers are prettier than yours. Warts and all. Accepting. One other in love. And here, diligently, striving hard, working, keeping the unity of the Spirit 
with the peace that binds us. This is the formula of forgiveness. When he says, accepting one another in love and diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us, that's what happens when we're forgiving. I mean, let me ask you a question. How would that change your marriage? How would that change your relationship? Hey, students, how would that change your relationship with your parents? Or parents with your students? How would that impact the church? It would be huge. When we apply the forgiveness factor the way Jesus taught it to family and marriage and parental relationships and church, it really does change a lot of things. And with this peace that binds. Now here's what we've got to understand. I say this every once in a while. I want you to be sure and get it. Okay? In this room, today it looks to me like we're going to have about 340. Okay? And in this room, there is 100% sinners. The one, there's a couple of common denominators we have, and one is we're not perfect. So the next person, somebody, next time somebody walks up and, and just sticks their foot in their mouth, does something unkind, just remember this. They're broken like you're broken. Broken people sometimes act broken. Broken husbands act broken. Broken wives act broken. Broken mom and daddies act broken. Broken kids act broken. Broken people act broken. So just write that down. Oh, next time, okay, oh, that's right, he's broken. And by the way, you don't ever know what they're doing in your lives, the struggles they're having. So that's our one common down there. We're all broke. But secondly, Christ followers, we have experienced grace. Every one of us, if you're a Christ follower today, you have experienced grace, and by default, you have experienced forgiveness. And just think how good it felt that day when God extended you grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He extended grace, and he forgave you, and you got that woo-hoo feeling, shoot that thing feeling. It was amazing. So we're different in our age and our generation and all many, all so many things, but, but we got two common denominators. We're all broken, and those of us who know Jesus, we have a Savior. We have a rescuer. And that is just incredible. It's incredible. So we can forgive because we've been forgiven. We can love because we've been loved. We can extend healing emotionally because we've been healed. It's a game changer. Now, yeah. this is where it gets Twilight Zone. Okay? The deal is, you can definitely, listen, you can definitely make the choice to forgive. You know, love is a choice and so is forgiveness. The power to execute that decision still lies with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives within us enables us to forgive. Enables us to love. Enables us to have peace. The Holy Spirit who lives within every Christ follower empowers us to forgive. So my question, I guess, my bottom line question is this, is that are you willing today to trust God 
and to believe his word. And maybe for the first time in a very long time, like my brother Jeremy, are you willing to be set free? And by the way, in case you're saying, well, did Jeremy get perfect that day? Um, I spent about an hour a week with him, and I can tell you definitely not. He gets frustrated. I get frustrated. We talk. We share. Tim joins us, you know, and we're all just sitting there free. And sometimes we're all frustrated together. So no, no, forgiveness doesn't mean you're perfect. When you, when you do the Jesus thing and all of a sudden everything's, sometimes it's not bad. But remember, forgiveness is for you and not the other person. So are you willing today to trust God? Is there something in your past? It may be a bombshell. maybe a daddy. maybe a mama. Maybe a boss, maybe a husband, maybe a wife. Are you willing today to choose, as a Christ follower, to choose to extend forgiveness? Remember, it doesn't mean trust. doesn't mean relationships all healed up. Everything's hunky-dory. It, it doesn't mean that, that guilt is absolved. It doesn't mean anything. It does mean this, that you have done what the Father asked you, what Jesus asked you, and you've extended what Jesus extended. Now, what we're going to do today for the invitation, it's going to be just like every week. We'll stand in just a moment and sing a song. But I really, I'm, it's one of those times, invitations are hard sometimes because you're afraid if you come, someone's going to go, oh, what's going on in their life? But, you know, I, I would be glad, Brent would be glad to pray with you. Dave's going to be busy. And I would be glad to pray with you. And some of our deacons will be down here. Please pray with you about something. Now, Dwayne, do I have to come forward? No, you do not. Okay? And don't sing. Just kind of bow your head there. And just talk to God about it. Say, okay, God, you know this issue. You know what happened to me when I was 17. And I've never been able to forgive. I've never been able to forgive. And I'm asking you to extend grace to me and help me forgive that day. I choose, I choose forgiveness. But if you want to come, the altar's going to be wide open. And we would love, we'd love to pray with you about this thing. Like I say, you can ask Jeremy. Um, that was God orchestrated that day. And didn't your dad die just not too long after that? Two days later? Are you glad that you had that meeting? Can you imagine all the, all the stuff that would have left unresolved had, had, had that meeting not occurred? Wow. God's good. Well, let's pray. Well, Lord, you are good. You really are. And uh, we want to thank you that you've extended grace to us. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you practiced what you preached. I, can, I still can't get my arms around you on the cross, bloody, in a sea of lost humanity, mocking you and spitting upon you. And you just simply saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Father, there's hurt in this room. There's some pain in this room. There's some unresolved issues in this room. And you only know what they are. You only know what they are. So I want to ask today, God, we need that sweet Holy Spirit we, pray, we sang about in the worship time to fill this room, to charge this atmosphere, and do, God, what only you can do. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.